And Father, we thank you for this song because it reminds us that our greatest purpose in life is to glorify you. Father, there are innumerable rivals for that position in our own hearts. Because our hearts are idol-making factories, Lord, we are always looking for some other thing or some other one that we can glorify. So thank you for reminding us, Lord, that you don't share your glory because you're the only one who's sovereign. You're in charge. You're not our hobby. You're our king. And Lord, we want to be a church where you are king and where others can find out that you are king. And you are almighty and you are holy and you are glorious and you alone are good. Inestimably good. We can't count up how good you are. And Father, I pray today that you would help us to live what we believe. God, close the gap between what we say we believe and the way we live. And Lord, I pray that we would live this day, this week, this month, this year, this life for your glory alone. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. God is good all the time. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with him. So I wonder how satisfied are we with God today? I read about our country and I love our country in this Labor Day weekend when we think about work and, and why we work and I just saw this statistic and I looked at several different examples that in almost every list of per capita income countries in the world, we are way up on the list. In almost, in almost every list of countries that make a lot of money, we're very high. But then I saw a list this week of the happiest countries in the world. I just saw 20 and we're not there. And I'm wondering why, what, what makes the difference between them? And I think the answer is that we can't buy contentment that no amount of wealth in this world will finally satisfy the thirst in our souls. So we'll have to find something else that gives us genuine joy. And Shakespeare put in the mouth of King Henry VI, my crown is contentment. A crown it is that seldom kings enjoy. How do we find contentment in this world? And I, I've had one of those weeks, an interesting week. Maybe yours has been too. I know we all have interesting weeks. I was trying to tell somebody about my week this week and he started telling me about his and his was so much worse. I said, okay, you win. Okay, okay if this is a competition, you, you win. Your week was harder than my week. But as we were just thinking about that, I read about William Falk this week. He's a magazine editor. He took his family to the British Virgin Islands. And one of the things about that, that part of the world is the people are supposedly very, very happy. And so he went there and spent a lot of money to get there. And he was just looking at how happy the people were and realizing how happy he wasn't. And in the middle of that, he said, I'm not lacking anything except contentment and the people here are so incredibly happy and um, there's a, a book, a new book out um, by Mark Easterwood called The Paradox of Progress 
And he says that's precisely the problem. Um, Most Americans enjoy a higher standard of living than 99.4% of the 80 billion human beings who've ever lived in this world. We have more food than we can possibly eat, but it creates its own kind of problems with our health. And we have more entertainment and more things to do than maybe any other place, and yet we sleep three hours less a night than our grandparents did. I know money can buy you an incredible bed. There's probably a sale tomorrow at some store. But money can't buy you sleep, can it? So how do we find that? And Paul said to the church at Philippi, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was God, didn't hold on to that, but willingly humiliated himself and became a human being and died on a cross and I'm pretty sure he didn't do all that so that he could be a means to our financial ends no he's the end itself he's the reason he's the purpose and if you say to me today that you feel a deep sense of contentment I bet you found it the same place Paul did in Christ. Would you open your Bibles with me? Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. We're working through the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians, particularly thinking about what Paul meant when he said, We have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So, what would it be like in this year of discipleship to think like Jesus thought? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Surely it affects our sense of contentment. Let me show you Philippians 4.10. Let's stand together as we read God's word today. Hear the word of the Lord today when Paul says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this Because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this, all things, through Christ who is strengthening me. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. We hear it from the get-go, don't we? I mean, this whole letter is about joy, about the joy that Paul has in relationship with those Philippian believers. He loves them and they love him. And he loved being their pastor for that short season. And now he's still staying in touch with them and they're staying in touch with him. And they've been thinking about him and they heard that he had a need. And did you know the letter to the Philippians is really a thank you note? probably the best thank you note ever written in history I mean think of all the things we get from this thank you note let this mind be in you I want to know him and the power of his resurrection the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer with thanksgiving make your requests known to God and the peace of God and later he says and the God of peace And in the middle of that, he said, as we saw last weekend, 
the things you have learned from me. And I said to you, that's the word for discipleship. So what had Paul learned? And in these verses he tells us, I've learned to be content. I've learned the secret of contentment. And the word he uses was often used in the ancient world by the Stoics who detached themselves from life so that nothing would hurt them and nothing would help them. They just said, I am utterly autonomous and independent. They were self-sufficient. That's the word autarkia. But Paul uses it and co-ops it as a Christian word to say, I'm not sufficient in myself but I'm sufficient in Christ. And this is the secret that we learn. It's not just a gift that some people have and others don't. Paul says, I have learned this. And the tense of the word, I don't want to bore you with Greek, but the tense of the word is like, I learned it and I can't forget it. Like you learned to ride a bicycle. And even though you haven't been on one, you just, it's like, we say, it's like, it's like riding a bicycle. That's the way contentment was for Paul. He had learned it. And he went on the roller coaster of highs and lows that life brings us. And in the middle of that, he had this constancy in his life because he didn't build his happiness on his happenings. He didn't build his joy on his circumstances, but on something far more permanent than that. And I said to you last week, you got to build your joy and your peace and your contentment and your happiness on something that doesn't change. And the only one who doesn't change is the changeless one, the immutable one, God, Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, this would deliver us from our when-then syndrome. You know what I mean by when-then? When-then is when, when, when I move in that house, then I will be happy. When I drive that car, then I will be happy. When that person likes me, then I will be happy. When I get what I've always wanted in life, when I finish my degree, when I get that job, if I get a job with that company, then I'm going to be happy. But the problem is it's um, like drinking salt water. You can drink a lot of it and it just leaves you more and more thirsty. Recent survey of Americans, people who make $25,000 a year said to be happy, I would have to make $54,000 a year. You say, well, yeah, I understand if you're making 25000 you want to make 54000 People who make $100,000 a year said it would take $194,000 a year to be happy. And I think you can just go right on up. They asked one of the wealthiest men in the world, so how much money did it take for you to be happy? And he said, I'm not sure, just a little bit more. And that's the way it is. It's um, chasing like the dogs that chase the rabbit in the race. They never, ever catch it and neither do we unless, like Paul, we say, I found the secret and I've learned it and it's discipleship and here it is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he shows us in verse 10 that we give God maximum glory by giving away the gifts that he gives to us. That's what verse 10 is about. So he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. So he's showing us what he's learned. He practices what he preaches. He tells them to rejoice and he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that you have renewed your concern for me. The word renewed is like the perennial flower that you plant. I, you can tell I don't know much about gardening just by driving in front of my house. 
But the perennial flower, I am told, not like an annual flower that you plant it and then it's gone. I've had lots of those. But perennial flowers are those that you plant and they die in the wintertime and you think, oh, I've got to replant. But sure enough, in the spring, there they are again. And that's the word you have renewed, your concern for me. You were thinking about me. They had always been thinking about him, but now they have given to him. We think from the rest of the chapter that it was probably a financial gift and they were caring for him in his need. And, and he is rejoicing in the Lord because of that. And you say, well, shouldn't he be thanking them? In fact, some of the commentators say he doesn't really sound very grateful to them because the next thing he says, I didn't need anything from you because I have everything I need in God and shouldn't he be thanking them? But here's the point. Where did the Philippians give what they gave to Paul? And it's in James 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not, here it is, immutable, change, like shifting Shadows. So good gifts come from a good God who just loves to give. And if there's anything good in our lives, and I'm imagining that there's a lot of good, let me just testify. If there are good things in our lives, thank God for those because he's the giver and he loves to give good gifts to his children and he gives and gives and gives some more. And he gives not only the gift, but he also gives us a heart to be like him and to give it away. So the Philippians didn't hold on to what they had, but gave it away. And so Paul will later talk about them to the church in Corinth and say in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, they surprised us because out of their poverty, they gave so much to us. They gave themselves first to God. There's the key. And then they gave their stuff. Because people who give their selves to God will, will, not, will not be holding on to stuff. I was reminded of this this week. Um, Corey Ten Boom said, I've learned to hold precious things loosely. Because it hurts when God has to pry my fingers away. And a friend of mine said to me this week, you have a hard time letting go of people. <laughs> the most precious thing in your life are people. And if God chooses to do something else with people, you have a hard time with that. Yeah, I do. I really do. And we have to hold precious things loosely. Some of the greatest gifts in our lives were people that God brought into our lives for a season. And for one reason or another, they move out of our lives. And it's painful to let them go. And Paul had that kind of relationship with the Philippians. And he just says to them, I want to say thank you for your gift because God gave it to you and you gave it to me and I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. So this means God gets glory when we give. And if you're wondering, I don't know if you've ever seen these billboards, maybe in other cities, I don't see a lot of them in Houston, but these billboards that say, are you good without God? And then the smaller print is millions are. And there's, you don't have to, you don't have to have God to be good. I think about my friend. He's become a really close friend of mine who, who took exception with our Vacation Bible School flyer that we sent to him. And he said, why would a guy who has a PhD try to indoctrinate children with silly myths and tales from the Bible? That's what he wrote to me and it was on then. And, but, but we became friends and, we be, and he's one of, I love this guy. And, and the, the thing about it is, he said to me, why are you doing that? You know, you can do a lot of good without God. And I said, well, just show me. Who are those people without God who are doing all this good? Arthur Brooks, who's not a relative of mine, though I, I like the way he thinks, did a, a nationwide survey and found out that the average person who makes $49,000 a year who's a Christian gives three and a half times more away than the person who makes $49,000 who's not a Christian. Also, 
twice as likely to help the homeless. Uh, Two-thirds as likely, again, 66% more likely to give blood. The people who are doing the good are the ones who have experienced the goodness of God. And for all the talk about why I'm good without God, well, show me. Because the statistics don't say that. They don't bear it out. It's those who experience the grace of God in abundance who cannot contain it and have to give it away. And that's the way the Philippians were. And God got glory in that. And they were able to do that. And Paul found in the middle of that, he said, look, he was always teaching because he was a teacher, but they were apprentices. And the thing was, uh, as my friend Al Lawrence said in his book on contentment, he wrote last year, um, the thing about Paul was you can't understand him if you don't understand. He was an apprentice. So when he says, I've learned this, what he's saying is I was teachable. And he says, I've ridden the roller coaster but it didn't bring me contentment. The truth is though, Paul says in verse 11 and 12, prosperity can't make you content and poverty can't take contentment away if you are a follower of Jesus Christ because the contentment doesn't come from the magnitude or the loss of things. So um, we, we learned that. I think about the Quaker who uh, decided he would give away his lot for somebody to build a home if they could demonstrate that they were contented. And a man came to claim it and said, I'm here to claim the lot. And he said, well, if you're contented, why do you want my lot? It reminds me of a, um, my mom's reading these books about the Amish. I don't know these novels about the Amish and about uh, the Amish guy who has a new neighbor moving in and they're just unloading just all this huge moving van of stuff and, and he meets his neighbor and the Amish man says, so if you find anything that you don't have that you need, come and talk to me and I'll show you how you can live without it. Well, Paul had learned that lesson. He didn't have to have stuff to be happy because his happiness was rooted in something that didn't change. I've noticed that that stuff changes. You saw the cars, I think uh, probably Gary showed you the cars of, of some of our staff members. In the last service, uh, to my chagrin, he showed a Matador, a 76 Matador, which is the car I had uh, when I was in, in, in college. I never was really content with the, the Matador uh, on the whole. There, oh wow, so we still have it. I didn't know you were gonna do that, thank you. Um, but. Um, <laughs> So, you know, now, now I drive a Camry. I mean, you know, I'm way beyond Matador and yet, you know, the, the Camry's eight years old and they got to fix the air conditioner in the Camry and, and chase his car up in, in Arkansas. You know, it broke down this week and he said, I have to have a car. And it's just, it's the thing is, I mean, if, if we're going to build our happiness on the car we drive, wow. But I could swear to you, I was as happy when I drove a Matador as I was when I drove a Honda Accord or when I drove a Camry. I mean, I was as happy then as I, I, can you look at your life? How many of you, don't raise your hand, please, but would just say, I probably have more than I've ever had. And let me ask you a question. Are you happier than you've ever been? Because I'm pretty sure most of us can remember times when we had less, but we were happier than we are now. They, they say about Alexander the Great that they inscribed on his tomb. I don't know if this is true. Can't believe everything you read on the internet, but they said they inscribed on his tomb. He is now contained in a tomb for whom the whole world was not enough. They say when he conquered the last country, he cried because there were no more countries to conquer. And there's this adrenaline addiction that says, I've got to conquer and I've got to get that next mountain. And I've got to accomplish that. And if there's not something else, that just, you know, that just, you know, and somebody said, would you rather be, would you rather be rich and miserable 
or poor and happy? And somebody said, well, I'd rather be sort of moderate and, and slightly depressed, you know, kind of somewhere in the middle of that. I mean, are those the only two choices on the test? Because I hope there's another option. But Paul says, I've learned in whatever circumstances, I've been high and I've been low. I've been hungry and I've been well fed. I've, I've had plenty and I've had little. And I always have Christ. And I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul says, don't get caught up in, in discontent. Okay, don't be content with who you are, but be content with what you have. Because we're all growing and becoming. And 1 Timothy 6 verse 6 helps us with this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Here's the problem. The, the person who's not content thinks that what God has done for them is not enough and thinks what they have done for God is too much. That's the discontented person. But godliness with contentment is great gain. You brought nothing in this world, Paul goes on to say in that passage. You can take nothing out. You've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it, I'm pretty sure. They asked about one man who was very wealthy who died recently and they said, how much money did he leave? And somebody said, he left it all. Yeah, pretty much all of it. You don't have an option on that. I mean, whatever it is, you're gonna, you're gonna leave it. And then so he goes on to say in that same passage, so if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. That's enough for us. The writer of Hebrews says something very similar in chapter 13, verse five. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money. You can't live without money, right? But keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Why? Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Your money will leave you. And I think about a young man who at the age of 23 had three credit cards, maxed them all out, $1,000 a piece, took the cash, went to Wall Street, invested. By the time he was 24, he was a millionaire. By the time he was 25, he was a multimillionaire. By the time he was 26, he had lost it all. Up, down. Better have something to hold on to in the middle of that. What do we build our lives on? It should be something that's unchanging. I think about the times I went down to Brazil and the first couple trips I made to Brazil, I spent time in a favela. You know what a favela is? It's a place where there's limited means. People start with cardboard boxes. Those are the walls of their home. Eventually they move up to plywood. And I'm telling you, I sat in some of those living rooms on dirt floors with some of the happiest people I have ever seen in my life. So if wealth is the answer, they really, really are outside what we understand to be true. Because they're happier than a lot of people who have limitless wealth. Why? Why is that? I mean, I've been grieving over Robin Williams. I mean, I've just been grieving over that man who made so many people happy and yet was so deeply troubled and sad inside. And he made fortunes of money. But it didn't bring him peace of mind. Why? Because you can't buy it. And the good news is, if you get it, the world can't take it away. And the Apostle Paul understood that. And he invited us to contemplate that and to ponder that deeply. It's why Bunyan wrote, he that is down... Uh, needs fear and no fall. He that is low, no pride. He that is humble ever shall have God to be his guide. I'm content with what I have, little be it or much, and Lord, contentment still I crave because thou savest such. God, you are all I need. And I ask again, are we satisfied with Christ? I read this week about a tombstone 
over in West England in a cemetery says, here lies in the man's name, a man who was satisfied with Jesus Christ. Are we satisfied with him? Fernando Ortega's song, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. And when I am alone, give me Jesus. And when I come to die, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Paul had learned the secret of contentment. And here it is. Good news. I don't know what you have, but here's good news. All you really have that you're not going to leave behind, all you really have is Jesus. That's good news. Now let me give you better news. Jesus is all we need. Let's pray. God, thank you for the satisfaction and the joy that we find in Christ alone. Teach us, Lord, so that we can say with Paul, I have learned. I've learned the secret of Christ's sufficiency. And Lord, we confess today that we have um, filled our lives with things that have left us empty. But today, Lord, we want to find our satisfaction in Christ alone. And since we need to learn that, and because you're such a great teacher, I pray that you would teach us today so that we will not forget that we can do all things through Christ who is infusing us with power. It's in his name we pray. Amen.